Valley Tales podcast. I am Gina Mizell, the creator of the Valley Tales newsletter, giving you continued in-depth coverage of the Phoenix Suns. We are recording this on a Tuesday night, um, a couple hours after the Suns' thrilling, dramatic, crazy victory over the LA Clippers. Devin Booker, of course, hits an incredible game-winning shot to win that. And joining me to break it all down is Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports. Kellen, what's going on? Oh, you know, not much. Just like you said, when I answered the call, not much at all. I, I, I don't know, like, because so what I said to you to kind of like behind the scenes when I joined the call, like you've had a lot of experience covering, covering NBA games more than I have. And like, especially for you, you got to cover a Nuggets team that was like competitive and in playoff series and stuff. So I was telling you, like, I don't know what this is like. Like, this is my first time ever covering like a meaningful game that went down to the wire that was like so dramatic like this. So I feel like I'm... 60% still like freaking out, but I was at like 95 for like the two hours after the game. I'm surprised I was able to ask questions. So yeah, uh, hopefully I sound uh, composed and stuff. I feel the need to say that because I'm losing it on the inside. Yeah, no, you sound great and you sound, you're making coherent sentences, so that's <laughs> a, good, a good starting point, but no, this has been, um, I mean, look, we'll talk about Booker first, but on a broader scale, I mean, Monty Williams said it on Sunday after the crazy win against Dallas that this is why he was so excited that the Suns were included in this bubble scenario. And this is why he said that other than the teams that have a legitimate chance to win a title, that he felt like Phoenix was a team that could gain the most from this experience. And I think we've already seen that as far as the Dallas win combined with this. I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's already paying dividends. No matter what happens the rest of the way, this has been a valuable experience for the Suns team. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, this is like a very weird thing to say after such a big moment like that, but this is like very on brand for myself. I think one of the things that I'm always going to remember now about the bubble was when Cam made a cut when, uh, on the possession before Devin shot, if he would have just stayed there, he would have hit, he would have hit the, not hit the three, but he probably would have gotten a wide open three attempt and it's a 40% three point shooter wide open on the wing, like the best shot possible, nearly possible. And like, Cam's not going to make that cut the next time that happens, you know? So, like, that's just a perfect example of what Monty means when he says that and what he said about Cam yesterday and that, like, we are going to develop him and give him the experience that he needs to be more ready in situations like like that one. And he he wasn't supposed to cut, but he did. And I'm, and I'm not trying to call him out, of course, but it's just it's one of those examples in the game, like, literally seeing it where you know, like, he – he knows like as soon as he's going towards the rim, he already like sees his legs moving and he's like, Oh no, like he probably already had that type of thought. Um, but yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Just the amount that they've get, if, if it's stopped right now, for whatever reason, they've gained so much from this already. I, I think that Devin said towards like the end of his answers that we've got like a guys in the locker room that like have the right mindset. And I, he has said similar things in the past, but I think that they've all come together with that mindset now. And it goes back to money. Like you, like you asked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Booker because he doesn't necessarily need the developing that Cam Johnson needs as a rookie, but even for him, this is his first time playing in these types of meaningful games down the stretch where he's going up against a team that has a chance to win a title. He, the ball's in his hands. He couldn't even do that in the last game against Dallas because he had fouled out. So he's in this situation, dribbles to his left, pump fake, spin, 
fades away so much that he lands on his back and the ball goes in. Of course, obviously he's going up against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, two of the best defenders in the NBA. Just as that sequence is happening, like what, I mean, we're all watching it on TV. I wish we were in the arena, but we're not. But just as you're watching that unfold, just what are you even thinking as, as it's happening? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of looking, I think the, I think me and Devin actually shared a thought, not to say that Devin and I share thoughts on a lot of things, but I think me and him were both thinking, where's the double, where's the double, where's the double, are they just going to outright blitz him and force him to get rid of the ball? Is it going to come kind of like Zubachi did on the second take? But I think it was like, okay, where's the help coming from? And then where can he pass the ball? Because he, he got DeAndre and DeAndre, that still like should have set up camp for an open three. But, yeah, I, I was just thinking and, – and when he got the ball at the top of the key and there were six seconds left, my thought was, like, okay, overtime at least, you know? So, like, there, there's still going to be – there's still going to be opportunity there and, and time for them to, like, kind of regroup even if this doesn't go down. And, like, obviously you're thinking that with how – I don't want to say horribly, but just kind of, like, botched that first go at it was. And then it, Devin gets by – but then Jackson steps up and I thought like, okay, he can't get to the rim anymore. And then Kawhi came over and then I thought like, it's Kawhi, like double teaming. You just never expect to get a shot off, like let alone like something towards the rim, let alone something that almost goes in. And then he didn't even hit the rim when it went in. It was, it was crazy. And then the replay showed like Paul George fouled him too, which I didn't catch in the moment. Like, neither, no. Ugh, gosh, I have no idea how he made that, but he's made – that is like the most Devin Booker shot, you know, like he, the, he is, I think, quickly taking over the reins from like, I know CJ McCollum's a guy who people talk about like this, but like difficult shot makers in the league. Like that was something that Kobe held a mantle on for like 10, 15 years. And I think that he's quickly going to become that guy and, and just make shots like that over and over again. Yeah, no, we saw a lot of, I, at least I did, I saw some Kobe comparisons, either someone saying he yelled Kobe at the end, or just that that was like a Kobe-like shot, not to um, directly compare Devin to Kobe, but we we know the connection that is there and just what the season is has meant in that regard. But I wanted to also point out two things on that sequence where, um, and I think you might have mentioned it, just Mikhail Bridges tipping the yeah. outlet pass from Zubak, and then... Yeah. DeAndre Ayton having the awareness, he mentioned this in his media availability, that he got the ball because the ball got tipped to him, that he he expected or he thought that the Clippers expected him to try to get it right to Devin, but that was a more difficult pass. So he made the easier pass to Ricky Rubio and Rubio immediately got the ball to Booker to then do what he did. And so that sequence just happened so quickly to even get the ball in his hands in a position where he could make that move. And so I just wanted to um, shout out those three players too, because they were very key in, in making that whole thing happen and, and he timed it so well too right because he shot with i screenshot it with 1.0 seconds left like they're they're not getting a rebound and calling a timeout like the, there was nothing there to create so like so many times people screw up that possession for so many different reasons and one mm-hmm. of them is shooting too early but he timed that well too he did everything right on the possession it was wild yeah, no, well, and especially just given everything that had to happen even before the shot. Like, he pumps, he spins, he's trying to give himself some room with those defenders, and then he's fading away that he very easily could have um, let that go after the buzzer, and it wouldn't have been, like, any fault of his own. He, it would have been the difference between potentially getting a shot off and not. But, yeah, it, and he, that is something that he said, though, that he wanted to make sure that 
he ran the clock down and that the Clippers wouldn't have a chance at the last shot. So no, um, all around just uh, strong, strong remarks from Devin Booker in that moment and from a very young Suns team. And I thought something that you asked about him, like taking in that moment and him emphatically saying like, no, we're on to the next. And you both knew what he was going to say, but I had to ask it to get that response out of it. Well, and that's why I followed up with the question with like, okay, but when you're laying on your back in the (laughs) entire team is surrounding you, like, what is that like and what you're feeling? So I was trying to get a little bit out of him, but it's just, he's that, he's got that combination of that like ultra competitiveness, but also like, we know he's a pretty calm human that he I mean even in the moments after where we saw the video with all his teammates you know dousing him with the water but then you know maybe five ten minutes later when he's sitting in front of us he's already kind of just smooth sailing and and already looking forward to the next game he didn't even like say like let's go or something out which is like the most generic thing you can say or something or in that moment but he didn't even like emote anything like he was just smiling because obviously it's like a great moment but then Monty was the one in that video who's actually like screaming <laughs> like, like he was the one that was like just just I think he led it like, just like a like a woo just like a huge one that I'm not gonna try to replicate because it was so passionate and emphatic but yeah it I I learned a lot through Jamal's year with the team because Jamal just really emphasized that like he I never thought Book was like this stat padding guy who didn't care about winning or anything, like nothing close to that. But Jamal just emphasized like, no, like this is all he cares about. And like if he averaged 15 points a game, but they won 60, 60 games, that would he would take that in a heartbeat over averaging 28 a game in like a 30-win season. That's just like the type of player that he is. And it's been um, – Jamal's a guy I always mention because I just think that uh, people undersell the fact that Devin had one of his basketball idols like join the team and in his year for like an entire season, which is just even if Jamal would have been playing, but he was out there with Devin in some of those moments too. And then Monty this year, uh, the Suns really got fortunate with like the break in that. Not to say that like Earl Watson and Igor and like those guys like Hornacek weren't like properly molding him, but they got like the right guys in there at the right time when he was already headed a certain way, no doubt, but it's only helped for sure. Yeah. And I mean, this season has been just like sort of incremental steps as far as the all-star nod, finally, the efficient shooting numbers that, I mean, there, there, there are people like friends in the national media who I don't think are those hot takey people that, you know, want to bash on Devin Booker, but um, I, like that when they were filling out their all NBA ballots, we're like, wow, like Devin Booker was the first guard that I maybe left off, or maybe I put him on the third team because you like can't deny his shooting efficiency numbers. And okay, yes, the Suns are under 500. Yes, they still have a long shot of making the playoffs. They would not have had a shot at the playoffs if this were a normal season. But at some point, you have to just respect what he's doing and I think this was just like another natural step in that process that I mean this this shot's going to be shown on the hype video next year it's going to be shown when Devin Booker highlights are shown on ESPN like this is now part of his arsenal and again it comes in a moment where um, everybody's watching basketball even at 1 p.m on a Tuesday afternoon because we're all starving for sports and like my timeline was just and yep. it's, it's not like I only follow Suns people. It was like all basketball, sports, NBA, just people either in our business or just that I'm friends with because I 
am friends with people who like sports. It was just a constant stream of Devin Booker. And even though, even if it was only for the afternoon, that's still a big deal. I think in, in this setting and this environment for him, just as he continues to try to make a name for himself nationally. So it's a really good point. And it, I kind of think about it with a recent example that was annoying, of course, but it just had to come up was when TJ had his huge game of his, his 50 burger. And then everyone's bringing up how terrible the sun street. Can you relax? Oh my God. It, cats realize like when you need them to not be in, I'm not a cats person at all. We have one. It just drives me nuts. Okay. No, so I love, I love the ambient, you know, we're all, <laughs> we're all at home. We're all quarantining. We all have yeah. stuff going on. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But with TJ, it's like, you just feel the need with something like that to mention, like, remember when the Suns got him for nothing. And it's like, if TJ doesn't have that 50 point game, is it still in everyone's like, like, point of conversation as much or just in their mind probably not and it's like just those little moments just help like national narratives it's kind of disappointing that they're like that but I just remember a few weeks before the all-star game was announced Donovan Mitchell and Brandon Ingram had a game on TNT where they were like both scoring 40 plus points and meanwhile Devin's got one national tv game the whole year and that's just the way it goes sometimes like he he if he would have had i hate to say something like this prop like this like proclaim this but I think if like the Sixers game and the Clippers game from earlier in the year would have been on TV especially the Sixers game he's an all-star I really do believe that it would have been that big of an impact especially the Sixers game I mean my goodness Gina you remember like that last five minutes where Ben Simmons who's like one of the five best defenders in the league like maybe 10 if I'm being generous to other people and he just roasted it (laughs) like it no one could guard it yeah. Yeah. No, it's, again, it's, it's just such an interesting atmosphere just to have this Suns team sort of, and you don't want to overstate three games, but I think we're not just talking about these three games. We're talking about the practices leading up to these three games. We're talking about the off the court chemistry that this team is building, which you can say that that's cheesy or whatever, but <laughs> when you're around each other 24 seven, you, you bond with people and it's not just been, okay, we're playing spike ball and basketball in the pool and golfing and fishing and hanging out. But it's like the serious stuff that Monty Williams, like showing the documentary that he talked about early on um, about I'm now the name is escaping me that um, was about slavery and racial profiling and just all that serious stuff that we're still talking about in our country. And so it can be really like real conversations like that. And it can be the silly stuff like spike ball and fishing and, and everything. But I just, yeah, I, I, when the Suns left for Orlando, I, I did believe I'm like, I think this could be really good for this team, but I think it's been even more beneficial than I thought heading into it. Not just because they've won these first three games, but just how they're playing. And even though we're not there, you can just kind of tell that something is, progressing with this team and I'm not coming out and saying that okay next year they're gonna be in the playoffs or they're gonna win 50 games or something crazy like that but you can just you can really you can see it and I think that could be a a really good thing that comes out of a very bizarre strange season and how this is all ending you need to remind yourself and like uh, we'll probably talk about it in a bit but like Cameron Payne's been awesome and his awesomeness in these stretches reminds reminds me or, or doesn't bring the need to remind yourself as much like oh yeah they don't have Kelly Oubre and Aaron Baines because he's been so great in those little patches where that's where Oubre or Baines or someone else like Cam or Mikel depending on the way they move the rotation around or DeAndre would be in there 
but now they're relying so much on other guys. And that's what I, what I came back to a lot about the first two wins. And then I pulled up the box score like 30 minutes ago and was like, yep, he made a ton of plays. Yep. He made a ton of plays. Like I think everyone in the second game, second win made like a pretty significant player three, at least in the game. Um, in the first game, I think Frank was the only guy who really didn't have an impact. But then in this game, Javon has the worst box score in this game that looks like the guy who didn't have an impact, but he had that, that huge steal and he was still like keeping things moving in point five, which I think he's been much better at in Orlando. Agreed. It's just like, it's like so strange that they're all coming together like this. It's just like, it's how a team is supposed to be, but you can attest from the past two seasons. Like it just felt like they could never sync up. It's, it, especially with like the injuries and the suspensions, but it was always just like whenever they played awesome, it was like it all came in like one game at once and then they all struggled and it never came together for them over multiple games. And it's crazy that it's happening in this one. And like, again, like who else like comes to mind, but Monty because of that. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that second unit a little bit and, you know, maybe not the storyline today just because Booker stole the show, but in that Dallas game, I mean, it was just unbelievable to watch and and you think, okay, so there's that Dallas game a week prior to that was the, the Boston game where the bench was just terrible. Like every oh. plus minus number was like minus 20 minus 16. So like, not just bad, like really bad. So to even go from, that point to Sunday night where they bailed out the starters and bailed out the fact that Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton both had five fouls and had to sit for long stretches. And then Booker, of course, fouls out late and just, yeah, whether it's campaign, Javon Carter, um, Frank Kaminsky finally hitting a couple of threes. Um, Yeah. And just down the line, down the line, Dario Saric obviously has had a great, great run in Orlando. And so I think that's just another example too, of, of guys just sort of finding their roles. And I asked Monty yesterday after practice, I said, like, did you figure anything out with that group? Like strategically? And he was like, and this is Monty. He never is going to give himself credit, but he was like, not really. You're just kind of trying to figure something out when your two star players aren't able to be out there because of foul trouble. But um, you know, y- you hope that that can be a confidence builder for those guys too, not just collectively, but there's guys in that second unit who have a lot to play for personally. When you look at campaigns trying to get back in the NBA, Javon Carter's a free agent. Dario Saric is a restricted free agent. Like there's a lot at stake for these guys. And so um, it's nice to see that they're taking advantage of their opportunity, at least so far. Yeah, and to, and to bring it full perspective in a way that's kind of inside baseball that you and I and like people who write uh, can relate to. I wrote the recap for the Dallas game and I didn't mention Cam Johnson like anywhere. And I was like, oh, okay, like I don't see where to put him, but he was awesome in that game. And then like, like the sub notes of my story at the bottom, I was like, I started it with like, it's a, it's like a punishment for me. Like it should be, I should be punished for not putting Cam in like the actual words up there. But there were just, there's so many like Cam campaign would be the story of Orlando for a lot of teams right now. And he's just, he's been a footnote guy for me. He's going to be someone I mentioned more for this game though, because he, I think this might've been his best and they just keep surprising too. Um, Payne is a guy who like he, he likes to shoot. And we, and we saw in this game, there were a couple of times where they were like those ill-advised Gerald Green-esque shots where you're like, Oh, okay. And then it went in. And then he, he missed like two and you're like, oh, okay. But then he's like, he's attacking the rim and you're like, okay, he's just going to barrel into the guy and miss a shot here. And then he dumped off twice really well. I think one was to book when he cut back in. And I think the other one was to search. And it's, 
it's those types of plays. And then like Dario just, it seems like what he did in the quarantine period with his strength and conditioning, whatever it was, it just seems like him being like a step quicker and just in better shape has him playing more confidently. Like he trusts himself more. Mm-hmm. That's that's like very far down the line of like not getting a direct quote from him on that thing. But he just plays that way, you know. Like he's playing, like he trusts himself like a lot more. And even when he's like missing bunnies around the rim and stuff, he was, man. If I had to, I, if I had to just go through like, like we haven't even talked about Rubio's first quarter yet, and that's like I'm going through the game in my head, and I haven't even thought about Rubio until right now. But he was he was so great in the first quarter and was great in the game overall. Dario had huge moments in the second half. Um, and then Javon, like I said, is still making plays and, and Kaminsky hit, hit a shot or two that he needed to. And it's just been a revelation to kind of see how they all come together. Because at first, like this through the scrimmages, I was like, okay, they're having a good game or two, but like Mikel is probably going to be the story of this whole run. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, Cam is, no, Javon is, no, campaign is. And it's, it just keeps going and going. It's, it's wild that they've managed to hit this type of run with the timing necessary too. Yeah, yeah. With Sarich too, first of all, um, I'm I'm glad that the sprained ankle like didn't turn out to be serious because I would have felt so bad for him. Like, oh my gosh, he was playing so well in the scrimmages and if that like derailed things because even if it's like a light sprained ankle, a two-week injury, you're done. That's all you've got in the in the seating game. So I'm I'm glad that that you know that didn't turn out to derail his Orlando run. But I think some people forget too that he was playing really well when the season was suspended. And it's funny again, another inside baseball type thing. Um, the day the NBA shut down, the story I was planning to write after it, the the Portland game was about Dario and Monty yeah. kind of alluded to some of the changes that he had already started making as far as his diet and this and that. And like, he had the good Portland games. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, my God. Doesn't that yeah, feel like four I know, years ago? Retro, but like before <laughs> everything went haywire, that was the story I was going to write. In fact, I was going to write it on the airplane and I was sitting in the Orlando airport as the whole Utah OKC shenanigans were happening. They had postponed the game and I was then had to get on the airplane and I'm thinking like, okay, something weird is going to happen. And then by the time I like fired my laptop back off, back up to write the story, the NBA was canceled. So that just shows you, oh. but again, that's just, so I, it's, it's, again, he's carrying over something that had started in March or February or whenever, maybe after the all-star break and yeah. carrying it over now. But um, you mentioned Rubio too. And man, he, again, he looks like a guy that's just fresh that, again, wasn't with the team early on because he had tested positive for COVID. So that like, wasn't, isn't even. I forgot he, I literally forgot. Like he's doing all of this off of coronavirus, which is just nuts. Which he said he didn't have too many symptoms, but still, yeah. even if he was completely asymptomatic, just the fact that you didn't, weren't with the team early on and like trying and to. And like mentally you have coronavirus. Right, exactly. <laughs> that really sucks and is really scary. And also has been away from his family who's back in Spain and like has a, an infant son and all, all this stuff. So yeah, his head, I could, I would not blame him if his head was in a weird space, but he's just come out and he's been really, really good in, in these last couple of games and to sort of um, piggyback off of your TJ Warren point from, from a little bit earlier uh, you know, if you look at that trade on the surface, yes, it does not look like a good trade to trade TJ Warren and a draft pick for cash considerations. But 
if you're a Suns fan or you're the Suns, would you rather have TJ Warren right now or would you rather have Ricky Rubio and Cam Johnson? Like that's kind of where we're at right now as far as those draft day moves. And I mean, I guess you could throw like all of the draft day trades in there, but um, yeah, would you, or would you rather have Ricky Rubio because you made that trade to free up the money to do that and re-sign Kelly Oubre by the way too. And would you rather have TJ Warren or would you rather have the wing combination of Oubre, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson? Like, I'm not going to answer that question either way, but I'm just saying those are the two scenarios that are on the table right now with that, that trade and those moves. Yeah. And it, it was one of those things where I couldn't even, I, I, I really enjoy like tweeting back at people, even if like we disagree and stuff and like having a conversation about things, but the TJ trade is just not something you can like have a conversation with someone about unless they're willing to like listen to one of us talk for like seven minutes, because <laughs> the other part is like, he didn't really want to be here anymore. Oh, he just, he just, he did not. And you talk one of the biggest things that people have been mentioning with him the past couple of days is like, and he's a really good defender. And it's like, he never defended here. He, he never, he, he showed signs of improvement. And then when the team locked in, I think he locked in and was actually kind of decent, but that's just like such a big mental thing. And he clearly wasn't invested in the Suns towards his time uh, ending here. And like, I, I'm not calling him faulty for that or anything because of all the stuff that he went through here and yeah, could, all you stuff blame that, if someone didn't, could you blame anyone if they didn't want to be part of this organization in the past 10 years in various I'm ways. so surprised Devin is still here it's like it's truly a testament to him because I think any other young star four years in going through what he went through no matter what their contract situation would have been would have just been like my goodness but to, to take it back to him it's like he, he improved in so many ways and just watching him even you, you remember the Pacers game that was here just yeah. watching the way he moved around the court it was like that's not I haven't seen that guy before we just haven't seen him before yeah. so it's it's such a difficult thing with um with the team specifically because you just can't fully judge players when they're only here like Rashawn was good here and, and I thought that Sacramento got a bargain but I don't think me and you would have ever said oh he's going to be their best player this year for most of the year like he's he was awesome there and it's like it's just so tough to, to gauge it sometimes yeah and it's just I think again sometimes people forget that these players are also human beings so when you talk about that it was pretty clear that TJ Warren did not want to be here anymore and again not begrudging him for that at all um, sometimes it's just a matter of getting in a new situation. I think all of us in our lives can point to times like that, where whether it's a job situation, a family situation, a living situation, uh, anything where you just need to change the scenery. And sometimes there's a better fit somewhere else. And so I, again, if you look at the trade on its surface, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> um, but also you have to look at the complete picture as far as what, like, it's not just X and X. It's like X led to Y, led to Z, led to this over <laughs> yeah. here. And so it's like when you look at all of the moves that the Suns made in the offseason, if you look at any specific one, you could potentially say, oh, that's strange. Or, oh, that's that wasn't the cleanest move. Or, oh, maybe they gave up too much or something like that. But then if you look at last year's roster versus this year's roster, I mean, it's pretty clear that there were – significant improvements made in certain areas and we're even again seeing the growth that those players are making even within the season and even within this time in Orlando so yeah not not to give like a cop-out answer on that it's just um though it's you you can't I, I hate when people just judge a trade like just based on the two like that one single move because 
front office people, one of the things they always tell me is that it's like, it's not about just the, the move on its surface. It's like, you're, you're trying to plan 10 steps ahead. And so it's really hard to just look at one thing and be like, oh, this was good or this was bad. Like there are some cases where that's true, but in a lot of cases it's like you have to look at the bigger picture and the bigger pie that's in place. I had a writer moment when I got into like, in to compare to anything like when you get in a real heated argument and you just go a step too far and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm like, you kind of realize it. You don't realize it in the moment maybe, but like after a day or two and you think you're like, wow, I really said that. After all those trades, I wrote this column that was like, we should be terrified of James Jones right now because he's proven that he's willing to take a hit on value just to get something done. Yeah. And it just turns out he had a plan, which was, I just need to get us out of what we were in. And if it means that like, I'm going to throw in um, like the whole Josh Jackson, D'Anthony Melton, like picks thing and like all that, and, like we're not gonna have second rounders for a while. Like it was okay for him. And I assume like this was his mindset. It was okay for him to do that just to get them out of that group and into basically his team, which is what any general manager would do, but also just like a, like a succinct like type of team. And some of it fell flat, which honestly, like if it would have gone better, it would have, <laughs> it would have made him look a lot better. Like, man, I thinking like if Deandre didn't get suspended, do they went 35 to 40 games, maybe even 40 does James get like executive of the year. Like, sure nominations because Tyler I would have never imagined Tyler playing that bad ever like just ever and and he was he was so bad and I hate saying that because we know he's a skilled player and like deserves to be a impact player on a good team uh and then the power forward thing going through the whole year the injuries and all that kind of stuff like some of it didn't go his way but uh, and then like the thing I think Cam is like one of the best examples of that because he could have taken Cam at like 25 and traded down or whatever, but he just said, screw it. I'm going to take my guy to 11. And he looks pretty right so far. Like I was one of the idiots that was doubting it significantly on um, draft night. Like people still make fun of me to this day for basically saying the same line over and over again on our podcast after that, which was just like, I don't understand where he plays. You have two wings already that need to play all the time. And now you draft another wing. It's like, where does he go? And, this is where he goes. He starts at the floor and like makes huge plays and big, uh, big games just consistently. And yeah, it, it was just one of the, and, and like I wrote that thing. And then like, even a week later, I was like, ah, like that, that was probably like a couple steps too far and like not fair to him at all. Just coming into that job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, uh, miss every shot you don't take. And I took a couple, so <laughs> I, I still missed anyway, but, uh, it, it's been, I, it just speaks to like the turnaround that he, we should, I'm glad he kind of got brought up because this is the team that he made. Mm-hmm. He made a lot of these pieces go like sure. McDonough put a lot of the piece in place and he deserves credit for that. But at the same point signed Rubio, he drafted cam. Um, and, and there's just a lot that he's done. He, he brought in campaign who's someone we have to mention now. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think the way that you said it was really good. And, and the way that I've described it, it's like, okay, he hasn't made, the cleanest moves or the most shrewd moves or moves that you're going to say, Oh my gosh, he got a steal there, but he did what he felt like he needed to do. And again, maybe that'll come back to bite them. If they don't have any second round picks Um, that could have potentially been valuable at the trade deadline, for instance, this year, if they wanted to try to get, um, you know, a, a backup guard or something like that. So again, there's, you can't, you can't fix every problem or you can't have, a perfect record but uh yeah a a lot of these moves you're starting to see why they why they happened or what these guys are starting to progress into but yeah let's talk about campaign because you you just mentioned him 
And no, he's been um, the best backup point guard for sure on this team right now. And I, I figured we would get to see him try to prove himself one way or the other and that the Suns would get an answer on if he could play or if he couldn't play. But I, I think just from everything that he has said, and I, I said this even before scrimmages started, I said, um, I have no idea how campaign is going to play for the Suns, but I've been really impressed with how like candid he's been and introspective and appreciative of the opportunity and his willingness to say, you know, I, I don't ever want to see myself out of the league again. Here's what I learned in China and the G League, all that stuff. And you at least acknowledge and say, okay, that's good that he's recognized that. But I think we are seeing it in his play that he's obviously learned some things he's improved and has maybe done what's necessary to stick this time in the league, or at least have a legitimate chance to be the backup point guard on this team. Man, I, I would have never thought that. And I was my first reaction again, like, why isn't it a wing? You need wings. Why are you taking another swing on a point guard? But it turns out this is exactly what they needed. And it's so refreshing it's it reminds me and, and people are going to hate that I'm saying this but it just reminds me of how dramatically different the offense looked when Alfred Payton came in for those chunk of games because just in the first three it was like they have a point guard who's like running the offense and finding guys and like driving and kicking and doing all these things that just no one was capable of because they didn't have point guards and now with him it's like man not only is he like creating his own shot consistently he's making it a lot and he's making these smart plays and it seems like like I said earlier he's just do for overstepping and just pushing himself too far and forcing it really. But then he just makes like a smart pass or two. He's very committed defensively. And yeah, him yeah, and Scott it, are fun when they team up together. Yeah. And, and it's, it's now down to something where just even in this like little sample size of like two weeks of basketball in a month with the practices and stuff, like they'd be crazy not to bring back both of them. If, if they can bring back Javon, which I'm sure they would be able to. And I think they should still commit to like bringing in a third guard to be the first guy off the bench and like make it a quality name. I don't think you want to risk it on something like as short of a sample size, but it's significant enough to me where like if Monty wants a change of pace, he can just go grab those two guys and just be like, Hey, go out there, just play stupid maniacal defense for two or three minutes. Cam, just try and find your shot for a bit. Javon, just keep making the plays offensively as you've been making. And that can actually be like something for them next season. I believe the terminology of when Cam signed was that they signed him to a two-year deal. So I'm sure he's on one of those like partially guaranteed second-year deals or whatever. And then, yeah, but like it, it, I, they shouldn't commit to him being their backup point guard at all, but they should absolutely commit to him being on the roster next year because he just brings something different. And it just kind of speaks to the failed opportunities of everyone else behind him, like Ty and Ellie and, and Jalen's not really in there because he's not really just developed yet but uh, everyone else that was in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's when you see somebody like Ty Jerome who went from starting that first scrimmage to now he's not even playing. Uh, I, I wondered if this would be an opportunity for him to try to get his footing after just an injury plagued season. But I think Payne came in and played so well, even in that first scrimmage that it was so clear that it was like, who, okay, this guy is definitely better and we need to give the ball and put the ball in his hands and see what he can do and and see if we can gauge where he's at so yeah whether it's Jerome whether it's Ellie whether it's Jalen LeCue um it's just yeah it the the overloaded point guard spot I think I think there's some tears now and obviously Ty Jerome is still on his rookie contract they have a lot committed to him 
money wise, at least more than those other guys, but it's, so I don't think they're going to give up on him necessarily, but I don't think this means very well for Elia Kobo, whose contract is not guaranteed next year. And then, like you said, Jalen McHugh is still just in that developmental stage. And so we'll see, but um, I think some things are still at least crystallizing a little bit from that perspective, just the way that the rotation is, you know, sort of shaken out these first couple of games. Well, okay. So wow. Indeed, the, the Tony the Tony Warren Jr. experience comes to us uh, on, on Thursday. That's suddenly like a really interesting game based on how these two teams have played. What are you most intrigued by? What are you most interested in seeing on Thursday afternoon? Oh gosh, um, Oladipo for one. Um, yeah. I think I think I'll talk about Oladipo because. Devin is one of those scorers where you just see him get to his spot so often. Maybe it's not that he's like making his shots or making the right choices, but he could, he could always get to his spots from like the first second he played in the league. And there have only been like, and, and I'm not joking, watching every second he's played in the league, like six to 12 guys I've watched like seriously, like impede his progress consistently as a defender. And it's always these dudes who are like six, six to six, eight, who have just as much muscle he does, but they're kind of lanky and long. Um, Karis LeVert's the number one guy that comes to mind for me is the guy who's always given him problems. But Oladipo was one. I believe they played Indiana last year, two years ago, before Oladipo got hurt somewhere in there. And Oladipo just gave him issues. And it's just those guys who were faster than him. They can take bumps really well defensively and just seem really smart with how to use their hands and just like their length on him. And, and Oladipo was one of those guys. Now, was Oladipo going to be able to exert himself that much? Um, I'm not sure um, because he's coming back from the injury, and I'm interested to, like, watch back their last game and just see how much he's putting in defensively because it was just, like, every night for him has always been such high defensive intensity that I would expect that from him at this point. But got to make sure. Um, obviously, I think what, Sabonis is out, so what else is happening for them there? Uh, I believe Goga Batadze, the rookie, is still out, so they're playing TJ Leaf quite a bit, and TJ Leaf has not been good for them. Um, and, and they've got some really interesting like bench lineups that they can go to. Like they have the Holidays who get mixed in there. TJ McConnell gets in there too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you can kind of talk about TJ. Do you think I? I'm trying to remember. He played pretty well against them. I can't remember who was guarding him, but that's obviously another huge like moment from Mikel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's funny that he's a guy that we barely even mentioned on this when he was the star of the scrimmages and and has kind of leveled off but still has had some really nice defensive moments. Um I somebody clipped the the stretch against Kawhi today where uh, he he like was got him on the baseline and stole the ball and like there so that he's still had his moments defensively and this will be another big assignment for him which again is just great experience for him moving forward and it was also he hit a couple of, of key shots today so nice to see him find his shot but that's uh you know you know that you need that defense from him and that's going to be really key for him going into Thursday's game sorry Mike muted the the zoom thing um <laughs> yeah gosh I maybe from like a, a mental approach too it's like how do they off, off of a game like that which like they can say it's game by game and it's like but that was a huge win and it was a huge win in such a dramatic fashion like the uh, there's the obvious like letdown like the, that comes after games like that sometimes for them they can't afford that 
but also it's like they're, they're playing Indiana and like Indiana is a very good team and they know that, but at the same point, it's not the Clippers who are a title favorite or one of the title favorites, I should say with two of the best eight, nine, 10 players on the planet. So just seeing how they approach it and, and I'll shout DeAndre uh, one more time, because I think that he is definitely underwhelmed so far in Orlando. I thought that he was a lot more solid in this game. A lot of that had to do with his mid-range jumper going in, but Hey, when he's making it, it's, it's a good play when it goes in. Um, and then he had the great, great, mo- not moments. It was nearly like it was a full half and made probably a little bit longer in the Wizards game. I didn't like how he played in like the first stretch of the game, but he was great in the Wizards game, obviously. But they need him eventually. Like he mm-hmm. eventually he was good enough in the Clippers game, but they cannot make this run without him playing at a high level. And it's like he's had a couple of games now to kind of get himself going and he needs to get there, especially against a front line like this that is only going to have Turner uh, and no Sabonis because Sabonis – Talk about that game where TJ was there. Oh, my gosh. Sabonis gave him problems. Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, and I think it's important to mention that with Tuesday's win, the Suns have jumped the Kings, who have been not good in the the bubble. The the Sacramento Kings still disappointing their fans since forever, it feels like. Um, They are now a half game behind New Orleans, and they are a game back of Portland and San Antonio. Portland is playing Houston tonight so that game will be over by the time this is done um and then the memphis grizzlies have lost their first three games and it was just announced earlier today that jaron jackson jr is out for the rest of the season because of a meniscus injury so it it sort of feels like no matter who gets into that ninth spot that we're actually going to have that play-in tournament which i wasn't quite sure if we would even get there as far as what a team close the gap to those four like four games that it's needed to force that thing so it's I think we're going to have that but the Suns still have several teams to jump over but it seems a lot more doable right now than it did even five six days ago yeah God bless the work of guys like Kevin Pelton and just like the super deep numbers and stuff (laughs) but there was never a way to project like this environment like you you can take you can take all these numbers and uh, this sounds like I'm on part of my take right now, or, or like some like ESPN show, but you can, t- you can take all these numbers and throw them in with like how the Suns have played. And like, it, it can lead you to like a certain belief and like a, a probability of them not making it, but none of them were like during a pandemic in a bubble, like in these empty gyms with no fans. And it's just, it's always going to be, I, I was just saying for weeks leading up to this, there was always going to be unpredictable things happening. I would have never for a million years guessed that Memphis even had a shot at missing the playoffs, let alone not get like falling to the ninth seed, let alone like not winning those two games or whatever. Like I always thought they were going to be the team that got out if Zion wasn't hundred percent healthy and he's clearly still getting his way back. Yes. But it, yeah. And, and now Jackson goes down, which is just, just awful. Like that's such a huge moment for John. They've lost all of their, re- they've lost almost all their real estate. Like it's, it's almost gone. That's how quickly it happens. And yeah, uh, I, I mean, like they, they've been saying, why not us and all, and all this kind of stuff. And it's certainly lined up to be that way. They're now, I believe, the only unbeaten team that's on that bubble. And it's going to – it's a, the Portland game tonight is a huge one because you have to, like, with this schedule, you're always playing tough teams, which you have to kind of assess where there are, like, winnable games. And just with the way Houston goes small, that's just a really good matchup for Portland. So if they don't win tonight, like, that, that's a little bit of an issue for them too. So I'm – I'm excited. I was just, I was super looking forward to just the race for the eight seed and the nine seed for the seeding games. Anyway, I honestly didn't believe the Suns were going to be a factor in it, but they are for now. And I'm really excited about it. 
Yeah, I mean, and it sort of shows too that people were mocking the fact that the Suns and the Wizards were even in this bubble and the Wizards have proven those mockers correct. But yeah. I think it's showing that, okay, they really did go to the teams that had a quote unquote realistic shot of challenging for that ninth spot because it's the gap is already closed so much and now the Suns are right in the thick of it. So, I mean, I even thought when the, when the 22 teams were released, I was like, wow, that's kind of a stretch for Phoenix, but it's still going to be an uphill battle, but it's uh, the gap has been closed at least a little bit already in these three games. Now, if they go out and lose the next three, then the gap widens right back up again. So you just don't know what's going to happen, but it's a tough road for the Suns, but it's been really fun to watch and to cover and to talk to these guys about and yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, enjoyment level very high over here as well. I just, um, yeah, to take it back to what we talked about at the beginning and what, what I was saying, like I just, um, it's so weird that we, that it's kind of happening in the way that it is that they're, they're having their most meaningful games and we're not there. It just feel it feels so strange to not be able to fully absorb like how the fans are reacting in the moment, like how the players are in the moment, because like that's the type of shot where like I instantly turn to like see how the bench reacts and watch them mob Devin. But now we've got the camera angles and like I would have been able to see that Jalen like you accidentally tripped a ref and now we've got like three replays to show us that Jalen accidentally <laughs> did that. It's like it's one of those things where you just have to experience it in a completely different way and it's something new. Uh, at the same time, at least for me and, and for a lot of Suns fans who have been really into the team for the past like five, six years or so. And just like I'm, I'm very happy for all the hardworking people uh, beyond like the players and the staff that just that just work for the team and that uh, everyone that had everyone that has like a vetted interest in the team. So like that goes for fans, that goes for obviously everyone listening to this and then the people who work for the team like we all just kind of like collectively just needed something like this. Uh, and, and if it's just this, like, so be it. I, I would rather not have it that way. I would rather have it be a playoff run to the NBA, cha- to the most unlikely NBA championship ever. But <laughs> I, uh, for now, like this is, this is pretty sweet. And especially, especially for Devin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up right there. Tell the people, I mean, they know where they can find you, but just if <laughs> somebody doesn't know where to find you, where can they read your stuff? Where can they follow you on Twitter? All that good stuff. Uh, at Empire of the Suns on Twitter. That is the subsection of ArizonaSports.com. Speaking of ArizonaSports.com, I help run that not only during basketball season, but during baseball and maybe hockey season. I say maybe because they're in the middle of a playoff series. Hopefully they keep going though. Baseball, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the other sports go right now. Uh, but for now, with all the sports happening, and even when they're not happening, like they weren't a couple months ago, we'll still bring everything for you. Gina, the, if the Suns don't make it, the draft lottery is like five days after anyway. It's like it just keeps going. So we'll have it for you over there. Exactly. No, I mean, it feels like we had such a long break, and now we're back, and it's just going to be this freight train that I think even into next season, hopefully next season starts on time. Hopefully we have a vaccine. Hopefully everything is all good. But it, it never, basketball never stops, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Callan, thank you so much for joining. Thank you to everybody who is listening and reading the Valley Tales newsletter. We will catch you on Thursday for Suns Pacers. Thanks, Callan.